This is the Education Gadfly Show. Sometimes we, we get cute with our titles, but we decide to play it straight on this one. Yes. Wise decision, Mike. What does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at FordhamInstitute.org. And now, please join me in welcoming our special guest for this week, Seth Gershenson. Seth, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah. Seth, for those of you that don't know, is the Associate Professor of Public Policy for the School of Public Affairs at American University. Also joining us, David Griffith. Hey, Mike. Hello, David. And Seth, uh, you know, really most famous this week because he is the author of Fordham's latest report called Student-Teacher Race Match in Charter and Traditional Public Schools, which we released this week. Uh, you'll notice, Seth, Sometimes we, we get cute with our titles, but we decide to play it straight on this one. Yes. Wise decision, Mike. A wise decision, <laughs> yes. It's a, a fraught and complicated topic, and we're going to dig into that today on Ed Reform Update. So, Seth, uh, first of all, congrats. It's a great study. Uh, we are excited to get to uh, be a part of it with you. And, you know, this is something, this issue around a teacher-student race match that you have looked at before, and that's getting a lot of attention recently, growing mm -hmm. body of literature showing, lo and behold, that when kids, and especially kids of color, have the opportunity to have a teacher, even if it's not every year, even if it's just maybe once or twice over the course of their educational career, but a teacher of their same race, it can make a big difference. Evidence on what? Academics and some non-cognitive stuff, some long-term outcomes, suspensions, Pretty impressive stuff, but nobody had asked this question about whether there were variations between the traditional public school sector and the charter school sector. Until now, what'd you find? Uh, well, we found, I think, two big results that are important, and uh, it's, it's surprising to me that no one has really dug into this before. The first big result is just a descriptive pattern where we see that black kids in charters are way more likely to have a same-race teacher than their counterparts in traditional public schools. So we think that there's that benefit. Well, we know that there's that benefit uh, generally, and we think it's probably there in charters as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, lo and behold, we see that students of color in charter schools have that opportunity uh, much more often. Yeah, about 50%, about 50% more often, right? Yeah, yeah. And and I think, well, what, they're maybe 35% more African-American teacher, or maybe teachers of color, was it, uh, in charter schools than traditional public schools. We should say mm -hmm. that all of the data in this study do come from North Carolina, so we have to be careful about generalizing beyond North Carolina, though it's, uh, you know, a pretty big and yeah, go reasonably ahead and generalize, Mike. representative yeah. state. I mean, you know, we're not yeah. talking about Vermont or there you something. Go. There you there go. There you go. Okay, yes, excellent. Okay, I'm sorry. Back, back to the yeah. story. So. No, that's an important point. I think the other thing, not only is the state diverse uh, demographically, it's also diverse geographically. Yeah. And unlike, say, Vermont or unlike uh, some of the other states where charters are really clumped in urban centers, North Carolina is unique in having uh, charter schools across the state mm -hmm. serving all types of students. So when w one of the things that we did to make sure that or, or to you know speak to the generalizability issue a little bit is we split the analysis separately by urban and rural. Mm -hmm. um, and we find like all of our main results hold up across the state as well as separately by urban, rural, mm -hmm. suburban. So it's not driven by one type of school or one sort of fluky set of schools. It's really sort of across the board that we see this. So we, we know that, uh, so now we find out 
uh, again, that uh, especially black students in charter schools much more likely to have a black teacher. Mm-hmm. And then this impact part of the analysis was what? Not only do the generalized findings hold up, but... They're twice as big in <gasps> charters, uh, which is pretty remarkable. And when you combine that with the fact that these kids have more opportunities to experience that benefit, this is a real boost that kids are getting in charter schools. So, you know, David, you, you got to get in here on this one. I mean, th- this is this is where we have to kind of uh, say, hmm, I wonder why that again, to, to state it again, we, we know charter school kids now are getting more access to teachers of their same race and that for kids of color, that's having a bigger impact. And so the question is, why would it have a bigger impact in charter schools than it would in traditional public schools? Is there something about the kind of teacher that charter schools are recruiting? Is it something about the environment in a charter school? It's it's an interesting question. We can't answer that per se, but it's kind of interesting to think about. I'm comforted to hear you say that we can't answer that because I can't answer it either. Well, I wouldn't say we can't answer it. I'm just saying we're not supposed to, but I, I will certainly be happy to. <laughs> if you guys aren't going to you know, try to figure this out, I'm happy to... Yeah. cross the line and offer my own opinion yeah i mean i actually frankly am interested in seth's opinion uh because just as somebody who spent a lot of time with the data i mean there's a lot of potential confounders here right like the number of the, the nature of the student body in charters right and the teacher experience potentially uh in charters versus I mean, can you just talk a little bit about well what, yeah we what it's so- not <laughs> Right. So we we do our best in the study to control for those types of confounders by making as fine-grained comparisons as we possibly can. So we'll do things like compare the outcomes of white and black students who are in the same classroom. So that eliminates the worry that the teachers are, are different um, systematically somehow a little bit. But the broader point is, I, I think you're right, the teachers are different uh, across sectors. And my wild speculation is that part of this effect um, does have to do with that difference. And specifically, the difference I have in mind um, is just that there's some sort of selection into the charter environment that teachers, and specifically teachers of colors who, who specifically choose a charter school to teach in, they're just more on board with the charter, whatever the charter's mission is, whatever the charter's attitude is, they're more on board with that. And specifically, I, I have in mind expectations. So in, in previous work related to the mismatch and more generally about the power of expectations, we know that a lot of charters have some sort of high expectations, commitment, um, or school mission as part of what they're doing. And given that uh, I think that having high expectations is a big mechanism that drives these race match effects in TPS and charter schools, that you're getting a little bit of, of sort of teachers who have high expectations and really buy into this idea uh, opting into charter schools. And, and we've talked about some of those studies on the show. You know, it's these, these really interesting studies where you, you ask teachers, for example, you know, what do you expect this particular student to be able to achieve in terms of their highest education level? And there's differences. And in, in, in general, uh, you oftentimes see that teachers of color will have higher expectations for students of color. Yeah. All right. I'm, I didn't mean to cut you off, Mike. I care about your opinion, too. I, yeah. I, 
I mean, yeah. is that basically your take? I, I think that. I, look, in the report, Seth also mentions the question of teacher certification. You know, in the, the rule in North Carolina is that half your teachers in a given charter school uh, can uh, don't have to go through the traditional certification rules. So that's a big difference with traditional public schools. So it's possible that that allows charters to get some people who are uh, maybe teachers of color who are, for whatever reason, impeded by the traditional hoops and hurdles. Yeah, I guess I'm just having trouble connecting any of these things to a larger effect, right, in the charter sector. So about how they get those students. Well, that's that's interesting, right? That uh, um, so that's the, 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 but, thing but, about but the certification, certification thing. Oh, go ahead. I think the thing about certification yeah, the dots for me. does not explain the bigger effect. I think the thing about certification explains why there's more black teachers in charters. Okay. Period. The, yeah. the, I think that that 100% well, contributes to that first result. Come on, Seth, don't um, you think that maybe uh, spending time in an ed school uh, <laughs> results in teachers having lower expectations well, for kids in general? Yeah, I mean, that's certainly possible. Indirectly, yeah. maybe. But the, the expectation <laughs> piece, I'm, I do want to push back on. I, I think that the expectation story I was trying to describe, if charters are, are systematically getting teachers who have higher expectations and who are more comfortable and vocal about expressing those expectations mm-hmm. to their kids, I think that could and does explain some of the bigger effect in charters. Possible. But, but you're right, David, that, that a lot of the positive impact is just in getting a more diverse workforce, which allows for these matches to happen. But then there's the secondary, it gets, for whatever reason, these, I'm just trying these to teachers of color are particularly effective yeah, I'm for just some trying to reason understand why the charter selection, sector. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, I'm just trying to understand why the selection would work more for teachers of colors than like yeah. into the charter yeah. sector than, than white teachers. I'm not, I'm not, I mean, I just, I don't know the answer either, yeah. but it's interesting. Well, yep. I, I mean, I, I can wildly speculate about why. Yeah, wildly be, speculate. Right? It's yeah. just, yeah, that's so, what we're here for. So imagine <laughs> if you're a teacher in a traditional public school where you're frustrated by a lot of your colleagues' low expectations, okay. right? Then you might see this charter down the street that advertises a culture mm-hmm. of high expectations, and then you decide, that's where I want to be. I want to be a yeah. part of that. Yeah. No, that is interesting. Yeah, I don't disagree with that or anything <laughs> that Mike said. I just, I am, I do not know. Yeah, and, and keep in <laughs> yeah, mind yeah. again that, uh, look, I think the other thing is, you know, Seth was able to try to compare these similar schools to each other, but, you know, in general, my understanding is that when you look at the charter sector, the ones that have a high degree of kids of color, kids in poverty, tend to be more on the the no excuses, the high expectation side. The ones that tend to serve a lot of white kids or affluent kids, you know, they tend to be more progressive. They're alternatives to the traditional school. Uh, you know, they might be a Montessori or a Waldorf. Or a, and so that's just going to have a whole different, um, that's just a whole nother different ball of wax. And so, that's right. look, I think that's it's, true. and it may be, People will always say, well, it doesn't matter if the thing has the word charter on it or not. It's what, mm-hmm. you know, which, yes, the quality varies. Of course, you can't make generalizations just by knowing it's a charter school. But there is something about the policy and the structure, what charters are allowed to do. And one of those most important things is that they are allowed to hire teachers in a different way, mm-hmm. uh, meaning they hire a different kind of teacher, uh, which may help on the diversity front. It may also help on being able to hire uh, more of uh, recruit at least more of those high expectations teachers. Boom. 
May. Speculating. Boom. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better. <laughs> All right. Hey, Seth, really interesting stuff. I hope uh, you're going to keep writing about this and, uh, you know, we're certainly going to keep beating the drum, but it's an important conversation, especially this question about why we're getting these results. Would love yeah. to see it replicated in other states. Uh, once states have the data, that's the big challenge is you got to be able to have a data set that links up teachers with kids and, mm-hmm. and achievement and all the rest. Uh, yeah. But let's see, uh, you know, if this happens otherwhere, other places in the country. Right? Yeah. All right. So thanks again, Seth Gershenson at the School of Public Affairs at American University. Hope you come back soon. Yep. All right. Now it's time for everyone's favorite Amber's Research Minute. Amber, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Mike. Just had a great chat with our friend Seth. Very cool. He's a great guy. He is a great guy. He is really uh, one one of our favorite partners. He's so good at the scholarship and also curious about things like policy and practice. Yes. yes. And there's, implications. There's, there's got a whole new sort of cohort of researchers who care about the policy that yeah. they don't want their studies to sit on a shelf yeah. and collect, collect dust. And yeah. we love working with it. Some of them have gone through our emerging education they policy scholars program with Rick about us. Yeah. But sometimes we always seem to make it about us. Well, I, I, I do like <laughs> yes. to make it about us. So, what what do you have for us today? We have a new working paper out by, hey, an EEP, Sam Viano. Boom. Uh, Gary Henry and Ron Zimmer and others out of the Tennessee Education Research Alliance mm. uh, that examines the school-level factors that influence teacher mobility in turnaround schools. So they know, we, we hear a lot about how it's super hard to recruit and retain effective teachers in our lowest achieving schools. Um, so they figured, you know what, knowing exactly what teachers prioritize in schools like these and how important those things are to them amid a bunch of other things that they could care about might be useful to know mm-hmm. and that could stem sort of the turnover in our highest need schools. Mm-hmm. So they do this kind of neat survey uh, where they sample teachers in three groups. One, teachers at an achievement school district. This is the ASD school turnaround district in mm-hmm. Tennessee uh, in 1415, which is the year when they administered the survey. The second group are teachers who worked at an ASD school. ASD school prior to that year. And the third group is they worked in a school that was eventually taken over by the ASD. Mm-hmm. All right. So all these teachers are basically ones that have experience teaching in the lowest performing urban schools mm-hmm. in Tennessee. Uh, the final sample included about 800 teachers, including all of the ASD teachers from a particular year and a random sample of the other two groups I just told you about. Response rate, almost 70%. Well, great. Solid. They worked hard. That's mm-hmm. solid. Uh, they include 16 attributes in three buckets. Malleable school processes, one bucket. This is things like administrative support, consistent student discipline policies, and so on. So stuff you can mm-hmm. presumably change. Uh, structural features like salary and performance base, base pay, some of which you could change too. And then school level characteristics, most of which aren't you can't really change. Student composition and commute to work, for example. Okay. All right. They use an adaptive, we've done this before. They use an adaptive conjoint analysis, which is sort of a fancy sort of market-based research type of analysis mm. where they force teachers to evaluate the trade-offs among all these things. Mm-hmm. So they keep giving you these 16 things and you have to rank them. And then they give, they put them in different pairing based on how you responded before. So you keep going through all these exercises and exercises until you finally basically rate how important these things are to you based on your prior responses. And so mm-hmm. you have to come through a bunch of trade-offs, right? Would you right. rather be in a school that gave you performance-based pay or had kids, you know, that were in the top, 
you know, whatever percentile mm-hmm. of kids. Like, just keep asking you questions, yeah. right? Can't we always right. talk about this, like, like you're getting uh, fitted for contact lenses or, yeah, or that's eyeglasses. Right. This or this, saying, this or this. Is this one clear? This one clear. Is this one, one of those games you used to play as a kid, right? Would you rather? Oh, would you rather? Would yes. You rather, right? Some of us still play it today. Okay. Anyway, they go through three of these exercises, which can be a little exhausting, uh, but they finally get this sort of desirability rating on all mm-hmm. these different things from teachers. All right. The results. Out of these 16 attributes, okay, mm-hmm. the one that they tested and that showed that was most important, that was most desirable, take a guess. Uh, having a great principal. That's mm-hmm. my guess, too. Well, you guys are almost right. Enforcement of a student discipline policy. Uh, <laughs> you didn't see that coming. All right. Number two was salary. Okay, mm-hmm. what you offer me. Number okay. three, administrative support. Yeah. But number three. Yeah. Um, school safety rounds out another the top one. ones. Yeah. Another one. The least important attributes, student race, student income, time spent working outside of the school day. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Generally, the school characteristics are clustered at the lower end of importance, mm-hmm. okay? The things that are not mm-hmm. really changeable. And the malleable characteristics are at the higher end, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, the attribute that was the strongest deterrent in teachers choosing a school as their first choice, so it kept them from choosing it, um, inconsistent administrative support, mm-hmm. followed by discipline. So the same yeah. two, discipline, yeah. administrative support, and school safety. So they, they just kept mm-hmm. showing up. Um, the least potent deterrent is not having high-quality PD, so not as important to teachers. Mm-hmm. Then they looked at value added because they were trying to suss out differences by, you know, teacher mm-hmm. effectiveness. And the only difference they found among the more effective teachers was that more effective teachers reported a greater preference for working in schools with some level of performance-based pay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And a, um, then a, ineffective teachers and then who didn't per- want performance-based pay. And then the other little uh, difference they picked up on were new teachers were more apt to choose low-income schools than veterans. New mm-hmm. teachers, some of your, you know, eager beavers, I don't know, your Teach for America mm-hmm. types. Um, so they end up saying, you know what, actually we can strengthen or do better with some of these malleable things that teachers mm-hmm. prefer to hopefully attract them to these low-performing schools. Interesting. But now here's the big question. Mm-hmm. It's a survey. It's a survey. Do we believe them? Do we believe the teachers? Are they being honest? Well, they talked about the social desirability bias, yes. right, mm-hmm. on the race and income questions. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, I mean, they can't completely fix that, right? But they did talk about the way in which the conjoint analysis is is administered. Mm -hmm. It forces you again and again and again and again to look at these different combinations. So Mm -hmm. you'd have to really, you know, you'd have to really, really, really want to have a social desirability Mm -hmm. kind of thing to figure out this algorithm is basically what it amounts to. Okay. okay? Um, It can be done, uh, but they make it hard, I, I think, in the way that the conjoint analysis is administered. Yeah. Interesting. So, wow, the school discipline finding, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it shouldn't be surprising to us, but it's important, right? Yes. That, uh, you know, it's, again, it's a, it's a trade-off here or it's, a, you know, there's been a lot of discussion, say, over the last 10 years about how do we get more great teachers into uh, these neediest schools. There's also been a lot of talk about discipline reform. Those conversations have not often been together. That's right. Yes. You have to join them. Yeah, right? I actually agree with that. Yeah. Yes. And they are And the administrator support, we knew that, right? Yeah. Honestly, that, that overlaps all this too, right? Because the administrator is going to help with that. I mean, I was just in school today with Andrew and we were talking about discipline. Yeah. And again, they were talking about, well, the administrator supports us in X, Y, and Z. Yeah. So those things are linked as well. Right. So, you know, right. it's hard to kind of separate out these various things that are important to them. I mean, there are many types of administrative support. I mean, what kind are we talking about here? Do you know? It, no. 
Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. No, we yeah, don't. It's the difference between feeling supported and being yeah. supported. Yeah. And, yeah. Yes. Well, and then this thing on performance pay. I mean, it's. I remember it's what Rick Hess has always argued is that performance pay is not about having a bunch of people who weren't trying very hard and now they're like, oh, there's more money, so now I'll try harder. That's not the point. The point is to recruit different people in the first place, mm-hmm. right? And that you might recruit a different type of person into teaching who would who would be motivated by, you know, having a goal that is, mm-hmm. you know, n- numerical and they're going to aim for and try to hit. And if they do, they get this kind of financial reward. And that, you know, lo and behold, those kinds of people do want to have performance pay. That's right. right. And so... <laughs> So, I mean, and this is what we see in, look, and this is what we see in DC impact too, right? Is that you do get a different type of person going into these schools if you can, uh, you know, if you add that kind of performance pay. Mm -hmm. Too bad. It's really not popular right now. Nobody wants to talk about that idea anymore. It's not. All right. Well, good. Well, we kind of had a double header on research today. Yeah. I love that. An extra helping. Uh, Yes. So Woo-hoo. I hope everybody out there is feeling smarter. And we've got some we of our listeners are. wanting the entire edition, right? Of right. That, that's that right. So stay tuned, so stay for, stay that. tuned for that. We may have some special research minutes edition podcast this summer. That's Woo-hoo. right. All right. But that's all the time we've got for this week. So until next week. I'm David Griffith. And I'm Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute signing off. The Education Gapfly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at FordhamInstitute.org.